Good morning. I want to thank Pastor Tom and all of you for inviting and welcoming us. And uh, Leslie and I bring you greetings from our pastors, Ashley Island and Troy Hatfield, who have sent us here today. Pastor Ashley, in particular, wanted me to say that she's praying for you and that she extends to you the grace and peace of Christ. So uh, Nathan didn't know this, but the first line in my note says... Let's take a moment to still ourselves inside and out so that we can seek him and hear him. While we were worshiping today, um, I saw something. It was a flag. It was a Confederate battle flag. The thing about this flag, two things about it. One was that it was... if such a thing can be beautiful, was beautiful, was made of fine silk, was fluttering in the breeze. But the second thing about it was that it was being laid down at the feet of Jesus. I want to say something to someone you might have said about yourself, maybe even recently, I'm a rebel. And maybe... In your mind, your rebellion has been beautiful. But there is a great king, and his name is Jesus, and he's calling you back. And today, I believe he's calling you to lay your rebellion down. And after the service today, Pastor Tom and I will be standing down here. just want to invite you to come see us. We'd love to pray for you. If you're willing and able, please stand in honor of God's word. We're going to read Ezekiel chapter 40, starting at verse 1. The title of the message today is, He Brought Me. Here's how chapter 40 begins. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the city was taken, on that same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me there. In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. And on it to the south, there was a structure like a city. So he brought me there. And behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, with a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. The man said to me, Son of man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and give attention to all that I'm going to show you. For you have been brought here in order to show it to you. Declare to the house of Israel all that you see. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you honor today. We give this place to you, this house, our lives. You are God and there is no other. You are God and there is no shadow of turning with you. Nothing shall be impossible for you. And we surrender to you today. Holy Spirit of God, come and speak to your house. Come and speak to this house. Help us to hear your voice to know that it's you, and to obey you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, you can sit down. So this is Ezekiel chapter 40, but who was this Ezekiel? When we first meet the prophet Ezekiel here in chapter 40, he's living in Babylon. It's about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. Jerusalem had been Ezekiel's home, but he's been in Babylon in exile against his will, very much against his will, for 25 years. The reason he and thousands of other Jews are in exile in Babylon is that the people of Judah and Jerusalem had disobeyed the written word of God and the voice of the prophet Jeremiah, 
And they had therefore been surrounded, defeated, and finally devastated by the armies of Babylon. And Ezekiel had been among the very first exiles from Jerusalem, carried into Babylon about 11 years before they finally destroyed Jerusalem and the temple of Almighty God. And before being forced into exile while the temple was still standing, Ezekiel had been a priest in the temple. But now the temple was gone, the city was gone, his home was gone, and he himself had been gone for a full 25 years. And all he wanted, what all the Jews in Babylon wanted, was to go home. Let's take a look at the passage we read. Verse 1 of chapter 40 begins, in the 25th year of our exile. In the 25th year. Now, you know that saying, time flies when you're having fun? What does it do when you're not? (laughs) What about when you're in pain? What about when you're waiting and you don't want to wait? What about when you're waiting and you're afraid to wait? Well, think about what it's think about 25 minute, 25 seconds at a green light. Think about 25 minutes in a doctor's office. 25 years. How does waiting feel when you're suffering? When you're in pain? When you feel as if everything you love and have come to depend on has been demolished? What about when you were in a place, whether that be a physical place, or an emotional place, or both? that you hate? What about when you're waiting, yearning for change, anxious to return home? The Jews hated being in Babylon. In Babylon, they were downtrodden. In Babylon, their captors tried to force them to disobey and dishonor the one true God. You can see that in Daniel chapter 1, for example. Being in exile in Babylon, being far from the Holy Land, being reminded of their defeat, their people's disobedience, and their terrible dislocation was a daily agony. It just seemed like it was never going to stop. And Babylon was the place they least wanted to be. Babylon represented a place so far from God, so far from good, so far from the truth. It was agony to be there. All they wanted was to return home to the land of Israel. Jerusalem was where they most wanted to be, but the Babylonians had them locked down, locked in. They couldn't go home. They couldn't return to Jerusalem, so they had to wait for God. And give or take, they had another 50 years to go. You know why Ezekiel knows that he's been in exile for 25 years? Because he's been counting like an agonized prisoner carving each passing day, each passing year into the rock of his prison cell. You know, sometimes people say, how long have you been waiting? Well, I don't know, half hour, what? You ask Ezekiel, how long have you been here? 25 years. He's been waiting every day, day after day, day after humiliating day. He's waiting and he knows he's not waiting alone because he says in the 25th year of our exile, And I'm drawn to these words, our exile. Ezekiel recognizes that his suffering is shared. He knows that he's not alone in Babylon. What he might not have understood was that people like us, mostly Gentiles on the other side of the the earth, thousands of years later would be waiting with him, sharing in his exile, reading his words, waiting for God to help us too, waiting for God to heal us, waiting for God to move on our behalf and bring us home again. We all know what it's like to be in Babylon, to be in the place we least want to be, to be waiting for release, to be waiting for relief, to be waiting to return. 
The Babylonians had laid rough hands on thousands of the people of Jerusalem and carried them off into exile. And don't we all know what that's like? To have the walls of our lives fall down around us? To be carried away from what we know and love by forces beyond our control? To be waiting, 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 waiting for what God has promised for the restoration of the precious things that have been destroyed. You know, some of the people who got carried away into Babylon were powerful people, people who made the decisions that brought the walls down, that brought the armies in, that caused people to be carried away. People with the power to make such a thing happen by disobeying God. And because of the decisions of those powerful people, those things had happened to everybody. But some of the people who got carried away then were just innocent people. They were just wonderful craftspeople and artisans. They were faithful civil servants. They were priests, faithful priests, like Ezekiel. Most of the people hadn't been involved in any of the decisions and disobedience that had brought their lives down upon their heads. See, sometimes when we're in exile, we're there because of our own decisions, our own attitudes, our own behavior. But sometimes we're in exile because of what somebody else did or what somebody else said or what somebody else didn't do or didn't say. So when Ezekiel says the words, our exile, in some ways it seems to me he's trying to say that it doesn't matter how we got here or whose fault it was, we're all in this exile together. The exile, he says, is not just his. It's ours. The pain, the dislocation, the bitterness, the disappointment, and the long, long wait, they are all ours. And we all know what it is to suffer. We all know what it is to have to wait for long seasons of time. We all know what it is to grieve what has been lost, to wait for restoration, to wish we could go home, to long to return to a place of rest and fruitfulness and purpose. We all know what it feels like to have been brought somewhere and kept somewhere in hostile territory by forces stronger than we are. We know what it's like to suffer because of our own choices, to be in agony because of somebody else's decisions, or simply because life can be so hard. And then we wait. We wait in hope for change, for help, for hope, for healing, for restoration, for a return to home, a return to beauty, a return to peace, a return to comfort and healing. This is where Ezekiel is when he finds himself suddenly caught up in an extraordinary vision. When God comes to him, Ezekiel is waiting. He's waiting for the end of exile. He's waiting. He's sharing in his people's longing for restoration and return. And it turns out we're waiting with him. Waiting for God to come and to bring us to a different place. So let's look at this issue of bringing he brought me. The verses we read at the outset today are the beginning of a vision that goes on for many chapters in the book of Ezekiel. We read, we read just a bit ago, we read only the first four verses. But each of those four verses tells us that God used the vision to bring Ezekiel somewhere. Verse 1 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he 
brought me there. Verse 2 says in the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. Verse 3 says, he brought me there. Verse 4 says, son of man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, give attention to all that I'm going to show you, for you have been brought here in order to show it to you. If you go home and read the rest of the vision, chapter after chapter in Ezekiel, you'll see that this is a repeated pattern. That phrase is repeated again and again and again. He brought me, he brought me, he brought me. Sometimes translated, he led me. Sometimes he set me. He brought me, he brought me, he brought me. So all of these exiles had been brought to Babylon by force. Hostile hands had been laid on them, and they'd been carried against their will far from Jerusalem. And this vision changes all of that. Now the hand of God is on Ezekiel, and it is God who is doing the bringing. And the Babylonians cannot stop it and have nothing to say about it. Let this be a lesson to all of us. No matter where you are today, no matter what your exile looks like or feels like, no matter how long you've been waiting or how far you feel you are from your Jerusalem, no enemy, no captor can keep Almighty God from reaching you, from placing His hand on you. Nobody can keep Him from bringing you where He wants to take you. You might know what it is to have been brought someplace by rough hands, by terrible circumstances beyond your control, but even in your exile, even in your suffering, even in your loss, even in your terrible waiting, the hand of God can reach you, the hand of God can lead you and bring you to places that are far beyond all you could ask or imagine. If you belong to Yahweh, if you have given your life to Christ Jesus, He will not allow your circumstances or your past or your enemies or your failures or your shame or your weakness. Determine where He will bring you. He will bring you. God gave Ezekiel this vision of bringing and God told Ezekiel to record it so that everyone who waits with him would be able to read it. As Paul says in Romans 15.4, this vision was written for our instruction. By studying Ezekiel's vision and the places God brought him, we can get some idea of where God wants to bring each of us, all of us, and what God wants to show us and reveal to us today. Okay, let's talk about where God brought Ezekiel. Ezekiel's vision is a journey through a very mysterious temple. It is both like and unlike the temple that the Babylonians had destroyed. And scholars argue about what this temple was or is and where, where it was or is. Like, for example, I heard recently that um, the dimensions of the temple as described here don't fit on the Temple Mount. He's in the land of Jerusalem. He's in the land of Israel. It's just, we, who knows? We're not going to talk too much about what the scholars have to say because I don't get it. Maybe if I got it, I'd have something to say. This is a mystery. It is a mystery. But the places Ezekiel was brought to in this mysterious temple, many of them are quite clear. We know he was brought to the land of Israel. We know he was introduced to a man who would lead him through the vision and measure the mysterious temple. Ezekiel lists and describes the places he was brought to and the things he saw. For example, after being brought to the mysterious temple, Ezekiel writes, this is chapter 40, verse 7, then he brought me into the outer court. 
Chapter 40, 32, he brought me into the inner court toward the east. 40, 35, then he brought me to the north gate. 40, 48, then he brought me to the porch of the temple. 41, 1, then he brought me to the nave. So this is how the vision proceeds. He brought me, he brought me, he brought me. In what remains of our time this morning, we will look at four of these places to which Ezekiel is brought. One from the beginning of the vision, two from the middle, and one from the end. And we're going to consider what God might be saying to us by bringing Ezekiel and us to these places. So let's look first at a place from the beginning of the vision. Look at verse 2 of chapter 40, please, which we've already read. In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel. So friends, Jerusalem and Babylon were 1,700 miles apart. Although Ezekiel had been carried by hostile hands into exile far from his home, far from Jerusalem... 1,700 miles away, far from the ruined temple of God, in an instant, the hand of God comes upon him and transports him to the place he most wants to be. Instantly, he is in the land of Israel and in the temple. Now listen, part of what we learn from Ezekiel here is that in the will of God, it is possible to be both where you least want to be and where you most want to be at the same time. Ezekiel's physical circumstances haven't changed. He's still in exile. He's still in Babylon. There's a sense in which his waiting has not ended. However, as surely as he is in exile in Babylon, he is in this moment also in the land of Israel and about to take a tour of the temple of God that he knows has been destroyed as only God could construct it. In an instant... Ezekiel is simultaneously where he least wants to be in Babylonian exile and where he most wants to be in the temple of God in the land of Israel. Listen, Ezekiel is not the only biblical example of this strange phenomenon. Think, for example, of the writer of the book of Revelation, John, who is in exile on the island of Patmos. And one of the things he tells us as as his letter to us opens is, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So rough hands threw threw him onto an island. But he entered into that doorway, that, that temple that opens inward where the glory of God dwells, where the presence of God is. And at the same moment, he is in exile on the island of Patmos and in the presence of the risen Savior. The place he least wanted to be and the place he most wanted to be at the same time. Have you been trapped somewhere in a place you don't want to be? Know this. Almighty God is waiting there with you, waiting there for you. Turn to him. Run to him in your pain. Draw near to him in your exile. Listen, however far that thing or that place or that person or that experience or that calling, however far you feel from whatever that thing is that you're in exile from, the Lord Jesus Christ is inside of you. You can go in today. You can go in today. And so maybe we're still a million miles away in the place we least want to be. But in that moment, we can also be where we most want to be. So Ezekiel is both in Babylonian exile, where he least wishes to be in the land of Israel, where he 
where he most wishes to be. That's the first lesson for us from Ezekiel's vision, that God can meet us in our pain, in our suffering, and in our waiting, and that we can be simultaneously in terrible exile and in tremendous glory and peace in his presence. Like maybe even being in the hospital on your deathbed perhaps, or what seems like your deathbed, perhaps due to COVID, the place you least want to be. And in an instant, also in the place you most want to be. In the very presence of God. Okay, that's a place from the beginning of the vision. Let's look at two places from the middle. Chapter 41, verses 1 through 4. Then he brought me to the nave and measured the side pillars. Six cubits wide on each side was the width of the side pillar. The width of the entrance was ten cubits. The sides of the entrance were five cubits on each side. And he measured the length of the nave, forty cubits, and the width, twenty cubits. Then he went inside and measured each side pillar of the doorway, two cubits. And the doorway, six cubits high. And the width of the doorway, seven cubits. He measured its length, twenty cubits. And the width, twenty cubits. Before the nave, and he said to me, This is the most holy place. So here's something I think we need to notice. Throughout this vision, Ezekiel gets brought to all kinds of places. But the vast majority of the time, the guy who's bringing him or leading him doesn't tell him where he is. And maybe it's because he's a priest in the old temple. He knows where he is. He knows, okay, this looks like the altar. It looks a little different from how things used to be, but I think I'm in the nave right now. This looks, this is the eastern gate because this is the east. This is the north. I think I kind of know where I am. This is one of the few times when the guy looks at him and says, hey, you need to know where you are right now. This is the most holy place. See, when he brings him to the most holy place, the inner sanctuary built expressly for the presence and the glory of God, the place only the high priest could enter, and that only once a year, the man turns to Ezekiel and says, this is the most holy place. See, for some reason, Ezekiel had to be told We've already said that it's possible to be in the place you least want to be and in the place you most want to be at the same time. Now we have to say it's possible to be in the place you most want to be and not know it. Ezekiel is brought to the most holy place on earth and he doesn't know it. Why doesn't he know it? I think there are a couple of reasons. First, because the place God has brought him is unlike anything he's ever seen. I mean, it's the temple, but it's not. And aren't I supposed to be in Babylon? Like, where am I? What is this? So we could forgive Ezekiel for being a little confused. But the second reason he might not know is that while he's standing in the most holy place, he's also waiting in Babylon. And he is in agony. See, when we're suffering, when we're mourning, when what we love seems to have been ruined or destroyed, it's hard to get our bearings. I mean, maybe Ezekiel thought, maybe someday I'll be in the most holy place. But that would have to be after my waiting is over. Like that would have to be after my suffering is over, right? Sometimes when we're waiting and when we're suffering, we're confused. 
So for Ezekiel, in the pain of his exile, his bewilderment at suddenly being in Jerusalem again, standing in a temple he was certain had been destroyed, he needed to be told. You are now standing in the most holy place on earth in our pain. In our agony of dislocation, we might not be able to tell that we're in the most holy place. This is the same, this thing, this thing, this very thing I think happened to Mary Magdalene. Weeping outside the tomb on resurrection morning. She is in the most holy place on earth and doesn't know it. I don't mean the empty tomb, right? Because like the, the empty tomb is a place, I'm not saying it's not an important place, but you know what people are like. We, we build a structure over it and, hire, and, and sell tickets to it and fight over who owns it. This is, that's what we're like. So when I say she's in the most holy place on earth, what I mean is that the real temple is standing right there. Remember what Jesus said? Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up again. And guess what? She doesn't recognize him. Just in the same way that Ezekiel doesn't really recognize the temple. Like, what is this and where am I? Here's the risen Savior. It's him and yet it doesn't really. Same thing to get people on the road to Emmaus, remember? Jesus walks right up to them. They're in the holiest place on earth. But what are they doing? They're mourning. They don't recognize who he is or where he is. And so there they are in the holiest place on earth with the temple, the very temple of God, the place where heaven and earth come together in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they don't know it. Think about Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is one of my heroes. I love Mary Magdalene. I love Mary, the mother of Jesus, too. She's like heroic. Think about Mary Magdalene that strikes me this morning, especially, is that she went looking for Jesus even though she knew he was dead. Like knew it. You know what that means? She knew he could do nothing for her. But she sought him. She stayed there when nobody else did. And she had to be told, Mary. She thinks he's the gardener, right? Sir, if you've taken his body away, tell me where you have put it and I will bear him away. See, I will bring him somewhere. But the whole thing that's happening right there is that she's in the most holy place on earth and he's not dead and he's there to bring her somewhere. When she arrives at the tomb in the darkest moment of her life in the agony of her life and sees that the stone has been rolled away and that his body's no longer there, would she even have believed us if we had tapped her on the shoulder and said, hey Mary, guess what? You're in the holiest place on earth. This is what we're like, isn't it? Our bereavement blinds us. Our suffering stops our ears. Like Ezekiel, Mary's in the most holy place on earth, but she doesn't know it. Listen, wherever Jesus is, is the holiest place on earth. And he's calling our names today out of our bereavement, out of our exile, out of our agony, wanting us to recognize where we really are. Okay, let's look at the second place from the middle of the vision. We're going to read Ezekiel 43, 1 through 7. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone 
with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the vision which I saw by the river Chabar. just want to interject. You can go and read that, the very first chapter of Ezekiel, if you want to. And I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Then I heard one speaking to me from the house while a man was standing beside me. He said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. Isn't it interesting? That when God brings Ezekiel from Babylon to Israel, he doesn't bring him to Ezekiel's house. Or maybe better, to the king's house. Like, isn't that where the most important stuff happens? Where the powerful people are? Where the people with political power are making decisions? Isn't that? They're the ones who made the decisions that got us into Babylon in the first place, right? But when God takes Ezekiel back to the land of Israel, he doesn't bring him to Ezekiel's house. He doesn't bring him to the king's house. He brings him to his own house. See, God's mind is on God's house. And he wants our minds to be on his house as well. Even in our exile, even in our pain, even when we know that the house has been besieged by enemies and apparently destroyed, it's true that God is mindful, mindful of my pain, mindful of your pain, but we must remember too, That God's mind is on his house, his kingdom. It is the place of the soles of his feet. God's mind is on his house. He is the king. His mind is on his kingdom. What about my mind? Where is my mind? When we're in exile, it's easy to think about my house, my kingdom. But God's mind is on God's house. And what is the purpose of the house of God? It is to make a home for the glorious presence of God. This is what Ezekiel has this front row seat to. We don't just have a house here. We don't just have a most holy place. We have the glory of God himself entering the house, abiding in the house, ruling and reigning from the house, and walking with the human race from that house. He sees in seeing the glory of God enter He sees the central purpose of the house of God come to fruition. The glory of God. No matter how many people and things are in the house, it's not a home until the master comes and sits on the throne and begins to rule and reign. You know, uh, Paul tells us that individually we are the temple of the living God, right? And Peter and Paul both tell us that together we form the house of God. That we're like living stones built together into this holy house. See, when we are together, when we are one, whatever house we build for God becomes a home for his glory and his presence, and that is the purpose of the house. So I've been in Christ now for nearly 50 years, and I've noticed that there are many reasons why people start and maintain churches. And I just want to say before I say the next thing, I'm, I'm not... Nobody asks me, and they're right, right? Like, what should we do with our church? Like, that's not who I am. I'm not here to criticize anybody. I mean, who am I to decide what various churches should do or how people who are called to lead the people of God, what they should be doing? That's not what this is about. 
So all I can do is tell you what I have heard from God about this place. You know, some churches seem to exist to showcase the giftings and personality of their pastors. Some churches seem to exist to satisfy people, both to satisfy people who are already, quote, in the pews, and to try to meet the needs of those people and to meet the needs of their communities. It can be a really beautiful thing, right? Both of those things. The gifts of the pastoral giftings that God gives the church, they're amazing. And meeting people's needs on a grassroots level in the church and outside of the church, that also is very beautiful. But please listen to me. City church is different. I don't say that city church is better. I say city church is different. The purpose of city church has never been to showcase the pastor or to satisfy the people. The purpose of city church from the beginning has been to secure and safeguard the glorious presence of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The purpose of City Church continues to be to make a home for God's presence. Now we're all in exile in a sense, right? And we know that Jeremiah tells the exiles, the exiles of Babylon, listen, you're going to be there for a while, so seek the welfare of the city where you are. And this is what I want to say to us. This is how we seek the welfare of the city. This is what we have to offer that no one else can offer. I know that sometimes, sometimes when we talk about seeking the welfare of the city, we talk about you know, other things or other ways, other avenues. And uh, I'm not saying those are illegitimate or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that God has given City Church this mission and that this is how we seek the welfare of the region. God's mind is on his house. Where is my mind? Whose kingdom, whose glory is it on? In Psalm 137, a psalm written by a Babylonian exile, he says, by the waters, he's a musician, by the waters of Babylon we've hung our harps on the willows in the midst of it. And our captors have demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And this guy, this brilliant musician, this is what he says. If I forget Jerusalem, if I forget the kingdom of God, if I don't place Jerusalem above my chief joys, if I don't place the kingdom of God above my chief joys, then let my right hand forget her cunning. In other words, may I never play the harp again. And may my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. In other words, may I never sing another song as long as I live. I say this as humbly as I can and directly as I can. And I want to start by saying, I beg you, do not be moved from this purpose of welcoming and safeguarding the presence of God. Don't get caught up in other people's kingdoms, other, you know, worldly weapons, earthly powers, all that. This, the purpose of the house is the glory of God. It is his kingdom that will never end and will not be destroyed. He is the only king. There are many kingdoms. There's only one king. There's only one realm of, the, uh, of humankind. And almighty God is the ruler of that realm. And he sets over it the lowliest of men. And guess who that is? 
See Jesus standing before Pilate with his face beaten beyond recognition, with a robe of mockery on his back and a reed for a scepter already beginning beaten beyond recognition. If you want to see a picture of the lowliest of men, there he is. And if you want to see a picture of the king above all kings, there he is. Let's look briefly at one more place, River of Life. One of the things we learn from Ezekiel's vision is that after the glorious presence and sovereignty of God enter the house, a river begins to flow out of the house to change everything outside. This is Ezekiel 47, starting in verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the house, and behold, water was flowing from under the threshold of the house toward the east, for the house faced east. And the water was flowing down from under, from the right side of the house, from south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate, led me around outside to the outer gate by way of the gate that faces east. And behold, water was trickling from the south side. When the man went out toward the east with a line in his hand, he measured a thousand cubits and led me through water reaching to the ankles. He measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching to the knees. He measured a thousand and led me through the water, water reaching the loins. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river I could not ford. For the water had risen enough water to swim in, a river that could not be forded. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me back to the bank of the river. The river, we're told in verse 9, is the river of life. It flows out of the house to bring the life of God, the healing, purifying, bountiful presence and power of God wherever it goes. And this is what happens when we make a home for God's presence and glory. The river of life begins to flow out from us. This is how the welfare of the city is taken care of. Remember what Jesus said in John 7, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. Anyone who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So this is true of us individually. We open the, in, the door to the inner sanctuary. We make a room for the, for the presence of God and the glory of God in the inner temple. We join together. We build a house together. The glory of God enters and the river of God's life begins to flow out of us. And Ezekiel finds himself being led through waters that flow from the home of God's presence, from the place of God's glory, starting from water that covers his feet, ending with water way over his head, waters that flow out to bring the life of God everywhere. God brings him deep into those waters, but God keeps him from being swept away. I'm going to mention that again in a minute. God does a lot of bringing in Ezekiel's vision. God brings Ezekiel from the place Ezekiel least wants to be to the place Ezekiel most wants to be. God brings Ezekiel from the most profane place on earth to the most holy place on earth. God brings Ezekiel to the house of God, to the place of God's presence and glory. And God brings Ezekiel deep into the waters of life that flow from God's house and God's heart. But here's something we need to know. Ezekiel had no choice. The Hebrew verbs, the flavor of the Hebrew verbs tell us, tells us it's God doing the bringing and Ezekiel's along for the ride. <laughs> God brought him. God caused him to see these things, to go to these places. 
So you might be thinking, well, why doesn't God transport me out of my agonized waiting into the place I most want to be? Why doesn't God carry me into the place of his presence? Why doesn't God dunk me into the waters of life? And here's the reason. Because we're not living under the old covenant anymore, and the living, breathing temple of God is now seated at the right hand of God. And what that king does in this season is issue an invitation. Remember, he's the one who said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come. Come. Ezekiel had no choice, but now God invites us. Now we must choose. Nobody made Mary Magdalene go look for Jesus. Nobody forced John to enter the temple of God within himself on the Lord's Day on the Isle of Patmos. If we want to be in the most holy place on earth, we can come. Hebrews 6 says that Jesus is our forerunner into that most holy place. Later, I want to say it's Hebrews 9, the writer tells us that the, before the way into the holy place had not been disclosed. But now that Jesus has suffered, died, the veil has been torn, the way into the holy place has been disclosed and we can enter following our forerunner, let him come. Let them come. If you follow Jesus, he will bring you there. Do you want to witness the glory of God in the house of God? Then come. Follow the Lord Jesus. He'll bring you there. Do you want to immerse yourself in the waters of life that flow from God's house and God's presence? Then come. Follow the Lord Jesus. He'll bring you there in spite of your pain, in spite of your waiting, in the midst of your exile. If you're waiting for God... This is the waiting room, the most holy place. Listen, the key to waiting for God is to wait with him. You know, if you're already following Jesus, this church has established a few very practical ways for you to pursue him more closely and to wait with him instead of waiting for him. For example, this upcoming conference, I've been to this conference many times. It's a magnificent place to go and just soak in the presence of God. Now, so maybe you're here today, and so I don't know, maybe you think Jesus is dead. Good luck with that. He's very much alive. Maybe you think there's nothing he can do for you. Mary Magdalene didn't think so either. Why not just come? Come and see. Soak in the presence of God. So this Intimacy with God conference begins Wednesday night. They have meetings here on a regular basis called River Rising. They have prayer meetings on Tuesday night. They have services, I believe, still, called worship and waiting. If you're in exile, if you're in pain, even if you think Jesus can't or won't do anything for you, the invitation is there for you. In fact, the pain that we walk in is our invitation. Come. Come home. Lay down that flag. Our exile is our invitation to come our pain, our agony, our disappointment. He is present and waiting to bring us into his presence, into the most holy place, into the place we most want to be. This is where he takes us when we let him drive. We've been talking today about a king. This is who Jesus is. He is the Lord of all. And this Jesus extends an invitation if you're thirsty, come and drink. And today, if you would all please just bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's just make this private. If you're here today and you've never really surrendered to him, 
He died for us. He died for all of us. Died for our shame. Died for our weakness. We all got plenty. Died for our failures. We're all good at it. It's not just you. And today, he's here asking you to come and to surrender. And if you're here today and you'd like to know him, he's well worth knowing. You want to lay down this agony and the sin and to say to him, I give you my life. I want to know you and serve you. Please forgive me. Please live inside me. And just follow along with us. Pray something like this in your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I have sinned. I'm imperfect. And today I come to ask you to forgive me and to help me. I give you my life. Come inside. I ask that I would be a place for your glory and that your life would flow out of me. Bring me where you want to bring me. Help me to follow you. In Jesus' name. Would you all stand, please? Here's the last call. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself in the place you least want to be. In exile, somehow, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You're in pain. You're in agony and you feel like you're waiting. Waiting, waiting. And you just need some prayer. I want somebody just to pray for you. Uh, Pastor Tom and I are down here. There are ministry teams here. Just come and let us pray for you. Let God bring you where he wants to bring you. So we're going to sing a song, and in a second, then once the music starts, just come on down and ask for prayer. The rest of you, it's good to see you. May Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May he keep you, may he guard your going out and your coming in. May he capture your hearts in such a way that you run to him and never stop. And this day, I bid you the grace and peace of Christ. Go in that grace and peace to love and serve the Lord.